What's going on, guys? Welcome to another huge, with a capital Y, episode of Triggered. Tonight's going to be extra special. We have former Speaker of the House, Newt Gingrich, on the show. Uh, I'm really thrilled to talk to him. He's got some big uh, news, and he's got a big new book out called March to the Majority. Newt understands this world uh, probably better than anything. He was an incredible speaker, fought for America, uh, and a lot of the America First policies that we're putting on, some interesting history with him and some advice that he gave me that helped sort of perhaps launch uh, a little bit of uh, my, my political side. Uh, and we have a behind-the-scenes look at the Republican Revolution in 1995 that started with the Speaker's contract with America. Again, a lot of the similarities that we see perhaps with now the sort of MAGA America First movement. Newt recently made some major news with comments that the indictment of my father, yet another one, guys, because, you know, Tuesday's indictment day, my father last week by Fulton County District Attorney Fannis Willis came on orders from D.C. So we're going to ask a little bit more about that because naturally we've seen this, right? Every time there's news about Hunter or they had the thing with Weiss, and not that I think anything's going to happen from it because I think these outcomes for the Democrats are very well pre-baked, despite what the media will tell you. Uh, it'd be interesting to hear because yet another time that Hunter or Joe gets caught in trouble, immediately there's a Trump indictment that follows. For those of you who haven't noticed the pattern four times, it's time to wake up. But a lot's happened recently, guys. I'm going to get into some of the big stories that everyone's talking about. But first, there's something that isn't getting much, if any, attention. And you wonder why. A Syrian refugee attempted a mass shooting in Fargo, North Dakota, a few weeks ago, and was stopped by a brave police officer and first responder last month. You'd think a story like that would be everywhere, but it doesn't go along with the liberal press's preferred narrative. So it wasn't covered much, if at all. <laughs> I hadn't heard about it myself, and I do this. But this shooting happened, and it's on video, on the body cam footage that was just released a few days ago. I have a feeling that if there was a mass shooter in a MAGA hat, it would be immediately released. The videos would be everywhere. The press would be outraged. It would be the only thing you hear about. But in this case, and in the video, you'll see the shooter, Mohammed Barakat, ambushing police. We don't know about it for a month. He killed one police officer. He injured two others, plus a civilian. A brave police officer, Zachary Robinson, put him down. Check it out for yourselves.
got shots fired, Central, we got shots fired! Central, we got a man with an AK-47, he's shooting at us. We're at the If it wasn't for the brave actions of Officer Robinson, many more would have died that day. There was a fair going on in Fargo that the shooter, Mohammed Bakarat, had researched. His web browser history also showed searches on mass shootings. His car had 1,800 rounds of ammunition and a homemade grenade and other explosives. The shooter entered the U.S. in 2012 as a Syrian refugee. These are the refugees that we were told were properly vetted. Don't worry, folks. What could possibly go wrong? That was obviously a lie. Much like the lies that we were told about the Afghan refugees that were brought here unvetted a year and a half ago. And of course, as always, the FBI was tipped off about the shooter. Watch this clip laying it all out so you understand just how corrupted and inept these institutions have become. It was an ambush. And tonight we find out someone was so concerned about the shooting suspect two years ago, they called the FBI. That tipster said back then Mohammed Barakat had a significant number of firearms, and he used threatening language. So as with all terrorists, it seems these days, I guess if you check off a couple of boxes, FBI can't do anything. They can know about you. They can be watching, but they're not going to do anything because they're too busy focusing on indicting Joe Biden's and the Democrats' political enemies. They're too busy looking to see if perhaps your grandmother was somewhere within a thousand miles of Washington, D.C. on January 6th, rather than trying to stop actual terrorists. Fortunately, these abuses of our legal system aren't working. My father continues to dominate the Republican primary field because of it. They're trying desperately to prevent him from winning because they understand what he will do to their broken, inept, and corrupted systems. The latest national CBS polling of Republican voters shows that 62% of Republicans want Donald Trump to be their nominee. A poll in Louisiana showed that my father is in first place with a whopping 75% support. So why would someone with that big a lead be expected to debate? Ron DeSantis is polling at about the same level as RFK Jr. is polling in the Democrat primary. Seriously. DeSantis is at 14% in the Real Clear Politics polling average, and RFK Jr. is at 13%. No one's expecting Biden to debate RFK Jr. Maybe we'd like to see it because, I mean, it'd be fun. But what's the difference here? Why would anyone, name a political strategist in the world that would give a nobody, a nothing, polling at 1% or less than 1%, like half of the Republican field, three hours of unfettered access to try to lay a whopper on after working with their consultants and other people, giving them a hit. Why on earth would anyone do that? And more importantly than winning the primary, 
is obviously winning the White House. And despite the indictments, despite the ongoing attacks, despite the Democrats doing everything uh, they accused uh, Russia of doing, my father's polling better than he was in either 2016 or 2020. And even CNN is admitting that. Watch this clip. Quinnipiac University. It wow. was a two-point race in February. Look where it is now. It's a one-point race. That's well within the margin of error. But take away one thing from this and one thing only if you take away only one thing. And that is, I think there are a lot of Democrats who simply can't believe that Donald Trump can be elected president again. The polling indicates that Trump is, in fact, in a stronger position at this point than he was during the entire 2020 campaign, according to the national polls. If we had state-level polling, I wouldn't even be surprised if Trump were ahead in the swing states that are most important, Jim. Right, and when the race is that close, it comes down to the Electoral College. And, and who knows what happens with that? Uh, we don't even have those kinds of numbers just yet. But from a national standpoint, you're absolutely right. It is remarkable where Trump stands right now when it comes to the rest of this field and with general election voters. Uh, Harry Enten, as always, thank you very much. We appreciate it. Be sure thank to check you. out Harry's podcast, Margins of Error. You can find it on your favorite podcast. Well, folks, Jim Acosta must have hated having to say that Biden is in trouble of losing next year. It's no surprise Biden is in trouble. Obviously, he's in trouble. The economy has been a disaster between interest rates, inflation, like literally across the board. There's not a metric where he's doing well. But the recent tragedy in Maui and Hawaii shows why Joe Biden and frankly, the Democrat agenda and our ideas are unfit for office or for public service. After over a hundred people died, due to a historic wildfire on Maui, and many more are missing, Biden's initial response was, quote, no comment. Hawaii has long been a Democrat stronghold, and it was a liberal Democrat leadership that made this fire so bad. The Hawaii wildfire is the most lethal wildfire in over 100 years, and it destroyed more than 2,000 structures. The fire was able to rage for so long because the official in charge of releasing water waited for more than five hours to act. Five hours in a historic tragedy. This official, Kaleo Manuel, is a former Obama Foundation leader who said that water is sacred and that access to water should be based on conversations about equity. Huh, it's always equity, folks. Remember, it's not equality, because they don't quite want that. Uh, they want equity. Uh, what is it with Democrats and their focus on equity, especially during natural disasters? Remember when Kamala Harris said that hurricane response should be based on equity? Remember that one? In case you're unsure what equity means, it's when Democrats feel good about themselves, even when they screw up in the worst possible ways imaginable. Did Biden think he didn't have to care about Hawaii because their vote is a sure thing for Democrats? That could be the case. I mean, seems sort of like Joe Biden. I mean, he's been on vacation for 40% of his presidency, and you think he took a couple hours to maybe go look there, or he's doing that for a couple hours, and then going right back to his never-ending vacation. But how long... Will Hawaii vote for Democrats after this disaster? Frankly, how long will any other state vote for Democrats when they see that these are the responses for when their homes 
are burning and lives are being lost. And Maui residents are furious with Joe Biden, as they should be. Check out this clip. Quicker than they got to their own state. The first that any of you guys heard from President Biden was after the rest of the mainland knew that the fires were going on, that there was this chaos, this tumult, this tremendous loss of life. What do you say when the president of the United States says no comment and then goes bicycling? What he's not doing, actually, for, for the citizens of, of this country, for the citizens of Maui and Lahaina, it's completely disrespectful. And now he's going to be coming here tomorrow, and all of a sudden it's going to clog up the roads. They're not going to let anybody through. It's going to slow everything down just so he can come in and take a look and, and do nothing yet again. So it's ridiculous. It's nonsense. And f*** him. Let me just say straight to you, President Biden, I pray for your soul. Just repent from your posturing and your lack of integrity and your lack of compassion. When you're, when you're the president of the United States of America, you have to know what what's going on. You know, you, you got all these people that surround, you know, supposed to be advising you what's going on. For you to say something like, no comment. I, I don't know, I, I can't even respond to such comment. We have the largest marine base in the world, the largest Navy fleet right there, right there. We can see the island. It could have been here in 12 hours. You think that if he, if he wanted to, the president of the United States or one of his chiefs of staff could have ordered military assistance from, from Pearl Harbor and the, the U.S. Pacific Fleet? There's no question they could have done that. They did it for Ukraine way quicker than the response here in Hawaii. It's so obvious, folks. Biden's in trouble, and that's why they're frivolously and furiously trying to indict their way out of an election, and it won't work. So before we get to uh, my friend and you know, incredible speaker, uh, Gingrich, I want to make sure we take a couple seconds to thank our sponsors for supporting this show. I want to thank you guys also for making it all happen. So make sure you like, share, subscribe. If you're watching right now, hit the like button. Make sure that other people see this kind of programming, that they see the truth, that they see the things that are going on. I mean, imagine a, like, an attempted mass shooting uh, in America and no one even knows about it. We know that wouldn't be the case if it was the other way around or if people's political affiliations were otherwise. So we have to make sure that people understand exactly what's going on because big tech, mainstream media, and others won't do that. So make sure to check out our sponsors. Check out the folks at Gold Co. to take the steps to diversify your portfolio. Rising interest rates under Bidenomics, inflation, reckless spending. They're all reasons why you need to be prepared and owning tangible physical inflation hedging gold and silver can help secure and stabilize your portfolio. Goldco has top-notch customer service. They'll answer all of your questions. They'll walk you through the whole process step-by-step step so you can decide for yourself and make your own decisions about what's smart and what's not. Support the companies who support you instead of the woke companies who hate your guts. Go to DonJuniorGold.com to learn more. That's D-O-N-J-R-Gold.com. Learn for yourself and then make a decision. But when you see what's coming down the pipe, it feels a lot like 2008 all over again. And it's only a matter of time till these idiots uh, just, frankly, tank it even worse than they're doing it, in my opinion. So... While we're there, don't forget about the great folks at Patriot Mobile, America's only Christian conservative wireless provider. I have a feeling you're going to have a cell phone in your pocket anyway. So do it and have one with Patriot Mobile where you put America first with every call while getting the same nationwide coverage as the major carriers. 
Patriot Mobile provides you dependable wireless service at an affordable price, putting your dollars into action and supporting freedom-loving values. They donate a portion of every dollar to support groups that fight for the First Amendment, the right to keep and bear arms, our incredible Second Amendment, the sanctity of life, and protecting our brave police and first responders. So for free activation, simple free activation, go to patriotmobile.com slash triggered, just like the name of the show, patriotmobile.com slash triggered, and they're going to take you through it. Or you can keep it with the carriers who are literally donating to take out the causes that you believe in. Seems like a no-brainer to me. But with that, uh, and joining me now, is the author of March to Majority, former House GOP Speaker, Newt Gingrich. Mr. Speaker, welcome. It's great to be with you. Well, that well, was quite an introduction. And I, I had not heard about the mass shooter either. But think about that. Like, you know, you you live this stuff. You ha you've lived this for decades, you know, whether it's politics, news. At this point, they're, you know, interchangeable, though. You know, I guess the whole thesis of this show is you're not actually getting the news. But I mean, imagine they did that. Imagine a MAGA Trump wearing, you know, red hat, you know, person, even if it was some radical extremist, whatever, they, they, you see it when they, these shootings happen. You, they, you could see them praying to whatever God they're praying to, probably Anthony Fauci or Zelensky, but the Democrat, they're just hoping that it's a guy in a MAGA hat. If it's not, it disappears within instant. We saw that with the trans shooter, uh, you know, and, and the school out shooting. It, you know, please let it be, the, oh, it's not this. It's as though it never happened. 1,800 rounds, kill the cop, wounded others. A month later, I hadn't heard about this, and I do this every day. Well, it's crazy. You know, I, I thought that was fascinating. And tragically, of course, and I've been many times to Lahaina, uh, what, a, what an avoidable disaster. There were two or three things they could have done. And there are now reports there may be over a thousand dead by the time they go through all the buildings where people were literally burned to death. I mean, it's one of the worst disasters in modern America. Uh, again, a lot of it's because of the attitude of the left uh, who refused to do practical, common sense things that would have dramatically reduced the risk of that fire. So uh, I was glad to see you cover that also. Yeah, but I mean, think about that. I mean, the, he waited five hours watching this go on because of equity for in environmental reasons. I mean... Isn't the environmental reason of using the water to stop the fire from burning the environment and, and everything else and putting caustic fumes into the air? I mean, you know, and of course, you know, it's a former you know, Obama guy and whatever, so nothing will happen. No one will call him out. He will be, you know, given awards as though he was a great champion of one of the greatest, perhaps, natural disasters in, you know, recent uh, American history. And it doesn't, I mean, it should tell us everything we need to know about just the insanity of what's going on, yeah. what we're being told, what we're, you know, and what I mean, we're being I mean, lied to about. The thing I'm struck with with the Biden administration is that they have the wrong ideology and they're incompetent. So they're trying to do the wrong things and they're trying to do them badly. And that's a very consistent pattern, whether you're looking at the withdrawal from Afghanistan, the failure to control the border, uh, the, the scale of drug addiction and suicide, yeah. I mean, the, the, the school systems that don't educate, I mean, over and over again, what you're seeing is people who both have the wrong ideas and as a result are increasingly incompetent. 
Yeah, no, well, that's scary. And you, you're right about the school systems. I mean, what was the percentage? Like, you know, 85% of kids graduating like Baltimore public schools could not read or write, yet they're graduating. I, I know there was the big well, story about, you know, the LeBron well, James they're funded. 20, they're, they're, actually, they're actually 21 um, schools in Baltimore City in which not a single student could do math. Not one out of about 2,200 students. Yeah, and they keep voting, but they keep voting for the same leadership and and continue to fail. I remember the big story, like, well, maybe two weeks ago, you know, LeBron James funded a school to make difference and make a change. And same thing, not one kid was proficient in reading or could even pass the state's test, which I imagine, again, is set up by bureaucrats keeping a rather low bar. Uh, Not one could pass. So millions of dollars spent to fix the thing. Not one kid can pass. Now, I'm sure all of these children... Uh, learned how to be aggrieved. Uh, I'm sure they learned how they were, you know, you know, could be social justice warriors. You know, the problem is they didn't learn basic English or math. Well, and, and frankly, uh, you get to a point where it, they're clearly failing. They're not going to be able to get a decent job. They're going to have a hard time being a citizen. They can't, particularly if you can't read and write. I mean, how do you learn anything? Yeah. And uh, I think this is a real crisis. And the teachers' unions are consistently on the other side, uh, and they are consistently undermining uh, the children of this country. Talk a little bit about that. I, I imagine you had to deal with them, uh, you know, throughout your your career uh, in politics in the House as a speaker. But you know, you saw a lot of the teachers' union. I think maybe COVID. Maybe one of the if if there's a good thing that perhaps came out of COVID was that kids were at home and parents actually got to listen in occasionally to the garbage that was being, you know, spoon-fed to our children, the insanity. So, I mean, the teachers' union may have shot themselves in the foot by wanting and pushing for the lockdowns, and teachers can't go to school, but, you know, they didn't want to go to school, they didn't want to teach online, but they also wanted to be paid fully. Uh, you know, it, it, it doesn't work. And then once you learn the agenda, you realize just how bad the teachers' union is. I say, listen, the, the greatest thing that someone could do, and it's not always feasible, but, you know, pull your children out of these schools. If you can homeschool them, whatever it may be, but they're failing miserably, and yet they continue to amass this incredible power. They have total, total hegemony uh, over the Democrat Party. What are some of the experiences that you had with them? Because you're right. How, how do you get through this? Oh this decline in education, and maybe this is good for the Democrats because they want, they need you to be dependent. You, you need to be dependent on big government. If you can't read or do math, you probably are going to be. Well, I think that, I mean, first of all, the number one purpose of teachers' unions is to get money. They have over $5 billion a year that they can spend on campaigns, on politics. In a number of places, they basically own the legislature, yeah. including a significant number of Republicans. I've I've concluded, I I was, as a congressman, part of the group that launched the press coverage of A Nation at Risk, which Ronald Reagan had commissioned in 1983. And way back in 1983, they said, uh, 40 years ago, that uh, we were faced with a crisis and that if a foreign country was doing to our students what we're doing to them, we would consider an act of war because it is so destructive. That's 40 years ago. I participated in lots of efforts at reform. And my conclusion, I just had someone tell me two days ago that they have a proposal that we basically eliminate the Department of Education, take that $80 billion in funding, 
turn it into scholarships for students so that they and their parents can pick the school that's working and can go to a place. And you, you see some of these numbers are staggering. Catholic schools at about one-fourth the cost of public unionized schools do radically better at getting them prepared for college. I mean, radically better. Same neighborhood, same children, but the schools engage the parents, the schools have discipline, and the schools focus on what you and I would consider the basics. And if yeah. you can't read, if you can't write, if you can't do arithmetic, you don't get off on this you know, weird conversations about social values. They just keep working at getting you to be capable of reading and writing and doing math. Yeah, no, it's, it, you see that. I mean, it, 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 the, the teachers' union is probably the greatest thing that happened to China's plans of taking over the world. Uh, you know, you, run, you see how the, you know, the TikTok algorithm works in China. It rewards kids doing physics projects. And, you know, here it rewards the dumbest human beings uh, we, we have in our country because they want our children to emulate that. In China, they want the kids to think that the kid doing physics projects uh, is the guy they want to be like or girl. Uh, it, it, the teachers' union seems like it's doing just that. I, I remember reading a quote somewhere from a former like head of the teachers' union, which basically said, "I'll start worrying about children when they start paying union dues," and it it sort of tells you everything you need to know. Yeah, I think I think that's sort of the attitude. It's an industrial union attitude from about 1930, uh, yeah. but it has no place in a classroom. It has no place with children. Uh, really good teaching. And I used to teach both in high school and college. Really good teaching is a missionary vocation. You're trying to engage the young person, get their mind working, recruit them to a better future, uh, get them to do homework, to study, to be disciplined. Uh, none of these things are automatic. And tragically, uh, when you start getting schools where you're now hiring the people who graduated from the school, and they can't read very well and they can't do math. So you end up with teachers who don't know very much, teaching children who have no support. And the result is, is it's truly tragic. And it's one of the places where we have to have the courage to put the children first and to yeah. decide that the parent and the child need the resources. The, res the money should follow the, the student, not follow the union dues. Oh, 100 percent. But, you know, that, that continues to be a big fight. But I think people just have to be aware of it and understand that. Uh, you know, because when you go after it, you know, you're, you're everything, a racist, whatever, with the same argument with the charter schools who also tend to way overperform, but they don't want parents to have that option because, you know, that's been an indoctrination camp for the radical left. Well, and what you see, by the way, in places like New York and Baltimore and Washington is a tremendous number of African-American and Latino parents who want their children to have the choice to go to a better school. Yeah. So you actually are seeing a growing populist movement among minorities uh, to give their children a better future uh, and to do it despite the teachers' unions and despite the politicians that the teachers' unions pay for. Yeah, listen, I, I think that's an incredible window that we, we as a party have to focus on. I mean, I know it's a, it's a key tenet of all the things I talk about in terms of school choice and, and whatnot. I think if we got behind that, I mean, maybe, maybe it's an entree uh, opening ourselves up to some of these communities that we've you know, been almost virtually shut out of. Because, I mean, what parent doesn't want the success of their children in the future? And as soon as they sort of wake up to what's going on, uh, I think that could be a powerful component of the movement. I think that's right. And I think certainly the whole idea of, of, uh, 
offering, I would call them scholarships instead of vouchers, but the whole idea of offering both scholarships so that parents are empowered to be involved in their child's learning, which is the other thing we've learned. I mean, the teachers' unions are bitterly opposed to parents having a role in the classroom and having a role in their child's education. And yet a project I, I work on called uh, the America's New Majority Project, which people can see at americasnewmajorityproject.com, We've been doing polling since 2018. 84% of the country, think about that, over 8 out of every 10 Americans yeah. believe that parents have a right to know what's happening with their children and believe that parents ought to have some significant say in what happens in the classroom. The teachers' union are bitterly opposed to having parents involved. Oh, they, they, they listen, they're saying the quiet parts out loud. You know, what could a parent know about their child that we don't? I'm like... What? I mean, some of the quotes I heard, like I said, I think COVID was sort of the great awakening where people actually realized just how bad it was, right? Uh, not only did they not want to right. do anything, but the stuff that they were teaching, the things that they were prioritizing uh, had nothing to do with what would be a, a, a typical curriculum to actually educate children. Again, it was in pure indoctrination. And so perhaps that was the thing that lit the fuse, the catalyst that started the shift of people who would have been wed to these systems for so long, despite the fact that they'd been failing them all along. That's right. And I, I do think you're exactly right that the great irony of closing the schools down is that parents for the first time saw the classroom because it was right there on their child's computer or iPad or whatever. And I think they were, they were shocked. They had no idea how much the schools had gone towards a radical left uh, philosophy that violates the values and the beliefs of most Americans. Yeah, no, it's it's insane. But I, I wanted to shift a little bit because you're from Atlanta. I mean, you you represented uh, you know Georgia, but really the district right around Atlanta for many years right. in Congress as Speaker of the House. I mean, you're intimately involved. Obviously, you had the indictment uh, of my father coming out of Georgia, Atlanta uh, last week. And you recently told our friend, you know, Charlie Kirk, that you learned that someone from D.C. literally called Fannie Willis, the, you know, the D.A. there, I guess, and, and demanded that she indict Trump to cover up the botched Hunter Biden plea deal. You know, what happened? What more can you tell us with that? Well, this is from a very reliable source uh, who uh, was deeply involved in this whole process. And... Uh, what we found was that, according to this source, the, the appointment of Weiss as a special counsel, after everything he'd done wrong. Yeah. Remember, Weiss had allowed the, the statute of limitations to go on the biggest tax problems. He had tried to cut a deal that was so bad, the judge threw it out. I mean, by, by every evidence, uh, he was in bad shape. And yeah. the reaction of the media for the first time was so hostile that somebody, we don't know who, uh, somebody from Washington, whether the White House or the Justice Department, called the district attorney and said on Friday night, after they had four or five hours of this, they said, we have got to have the indictment on Monday. And I'm told she that she responded, we can't do the indictment on Monday. The members of the grand jury are coming back on Tuesday. They said, you're not hearing us. Get them back Monday. We have to have the indictment on Monday. She said, well, they're not going to get back before noon. 
And by the time we get done with all the paperwork and they vote, et cetera, it's going to be 8.30, 9 o'clock or later before I can actually announce it. They said, we don't care. It has to be on Monday. And that's why you had this crazy period. Uh, I actually spent two hours uh, with Sean Hannity watching it, uh, and I, I couldn't believe it. I mean, it was, as I said earlier, it's a combination of being a left-wing ideologue and just plain incompetent. Um, yeah, and so for people and, watching who don't, don't know what happened, I mean, they basically released the indictment as though it, it was done before the grand jury even finished. So what? unless it was pre-baked, unless they knew what the answer was somehow, magically, uh, you know, sh I'm shocked in Atlanta. Maybe there was there a pipe burst that maybe, you know, at nine o'clock that they delayed it, that they were able to get the information magically. Like, you know, no, no one should believe in this level of coincidence anymore. But they released the indictment. They put it up on the docket as though it was done while the grand jury still out there deliberating. So, uh, no, I there are two theories of that. One is that they did it deliberately to pressure the grand jury. I don't believe that. I think it was just incompetence. But what it tells you is that the grand jury didn't really exist. Now, this was the prosecutor. Uh, she made the decision. She drew up the bill. Uh, she rammed it through. Uh, and so you have, and, and most of it, by the way, is nuts. Uh, you, you know, the idea that you're going to use a law designed for the mafia in order to go after a former president of the United States, in order to go after, by the way, Rudy Giuliani, who as a U.S. attorney used that law to go after the mafia. I mean, if you think about it, the level of arrogance, um, the, the level of being thinking that they're beyond being touched is sickening. And I yeah. think, frankly, it's all going to blow up. I think that uh, you see it blowing up in terms of your father's poll numbers. But I think deeper than that, I think that the work that Chairman Comey is doing, uh, which is very, very impressive, uh, in uh, the House right now, yeah. uh, and he is methodically and steadily uh, finding out exactly what's going on. They're going to keep getting more and more information, and I think we're going to find out that the level of collusion, uh, the level of manipulation, is uh, certainly is, is greater than Watergate. And remember, 46 people were convicted during Watergate, and the only cabinet officer ever to go to jail was the Attorney General of the United States, John Mitchell. And I keep saying the current Attorney General ought to look very carefully at what happened to Mitchell because you see so much obstruction of justice. Except, but, but, but do, justice. Speaker, who's going to actually prosecute him? That's the problem, right? They're judge, jury, and executioner no. of their own side. So, you know, I, I think Comer's doing a good job. He's moving the ball. But, like, will the Republicans ever have the cojones to actually do something like this. Because you would think this one would be easy. If the DA is putting up a thing before the grand jury is out, like, I mean, that seems like it's cut and dry. I mean, I look at this, and you look at the Watergate facts, that, like, between this, the other Hunter Biden stuff, the money, the Ukraine, China, I mean, this makes Watergate seem like kindergarten. And yet, you know, it's it's like like the shooting, uh, you know, of a Syria, by a Syrian refugee, you, people don't even know what's going on. Uh, they hit it with the Hunter Biden laptop during the election. I mean, it's all election interference. Plus, with this one in Georgia, my understanding, and you'd probably get it better than me, but is because it's sort of done like a RICO thing, they're able to add in other people that speak about it now, 
right? Sort of right. posthumously, right? They can, they can add you in later because now you're talking about the thing that was so bad and therefore you're messing with it and therefore we can add you in, even if you had nothing to do with it, in an effective way to get to silence people, right? Shut off their First Amendment rights because who wants to deal with the idea of then being added as an indictee after the fact? Well, I mean, look, you have, in addition to President Trump, 18 other people were indicted uh, in that particular thing. They released today 20 unindicted co-conspirators. And you're exactly right. That's kind of a signal if you open your mouth, we may decide to make you an indicted co-conspirator. Yeah. But this has been going all over the country. There, there is a 81-year-old woman who was indicted by the Democratic Attorney General of Michigan yeah. for being an alternative elector which is a totally legal position. When Gore had alternative electors for Florida, not a single person yeah. thought that that was inappropriate. It's part of our process. I Kennedy did have, the same, didn't he? Well, in, in like the 60s. Yeah, they did. Actually in Hawaii, ironically enough. <laughs> Hawaii had uh, at one point had three slates. It had uh, the Nixon slate, the Kennedy slate, and they had a gubernatorial election. So the governor named his own slate, which was for Kennedy, but he named it after the first slate was organized. But, you know, you actually had the chairman of the January 6th committee had been an alternative elector for Mississippi. Um, they talk about this idea of denying the election. Well, we know uh, that the former Democratic candidate for governor in Georgia, uh, on 30 different occasions, 3-0, 30 different occasions, denied the governor camp had won. But Stacey Abrams hasn't been indicted. Uh, this whole thing is so phony, and, and my answer to you is pretty straightforward. I think the job of the Congress is to investigate, and I think they're doing that. Uh, I personally, if I were Speaker, would be moving to cut off large parts of the Justice Department financially and to reach into the District Attorney's Office in Atlanta because they have a lot of federal funding, and therefore you have a, you have a hook to, to get her under oath. I would also be looking at... at, at uh, thorough investigation, frankly, going all the way back through Obama to Hillary Clinton. I think it's the three of them. It's Hillary Clinton, it's Barack Obama, it's Joe Biden. It's not just Hunter and Joe. But but in addition to that, uh, I believe that the next president, who I suspect will be your father, uh, is going to have a U.S. attorney who goes after these people. I mean, they have gone so far beyond any reasonable behavior. They are destroying the rule of law. They're weaponizing the government. And I think the average American now realizes that the system is so sick that it's going to take some pretty significant surgery to get it back to health. Yeah, no, I saw sort of a, a, an interesting, I think it was a meme the other day. It was something like, you know, they find cocaine at the White House. They find a dead body at Obama's house. There's illegal servers at Hillary's house. There's a male prostitute at Pelosi's house. So, of course, the FBI has to raid Trump's house. Uh, I, I think it tells you sort of... <laughs> Right. It's it's what this is. It's always been about this. And, uh, you know, they they try to do it. Same with the Alvin Bragg case in New York, try to pull it out of federal. So if he is, you can't pardon themselves. But, you know, I just don't believe that there's this level of coincidence anymore. Right. 
Uh, every time, I, I did it on the show a couple, I can't remember the exact dates anymore, but you know, the first time they tied Joe Biden to the $10 million. The next day, Trump indictment. The Mar-a-Lago raid happened after a, you know, a Hunter Biden story. You know, Hunter Biden, they, you know, I, I don't think anything's going to happen with the Weiss th thing. I mean, I, I think, you know, he's proven to be sort of feckless and incompetent and almost, I don't want to even say incompetent because I think it's actually deliberate. Uh, so it, it would appear to be incompetence, but I think he's working with and for the other side because they operate differently than we do. These guys, these guys themselves are functioning, frankly, like the mafia uh, and should be looked at that way. But as long as the, she, you know, the fox is guarding the hen house, uh, that's never going to happen. But, you know, there's no coincidence that the, uh, the Hunter stuff comes out, they impose a special counsel, it sounds like something would happen, We'd, I don't believe it will, but, you know, again, immediately, let's give the media, let's give big tech something to chew on, again, to take the, away the attention from the incompetence of the Biden administration, the corruption of the Biden family, and focus it back on Trump. Look, I, I think that that's exactly right. But I do think that <clears throat> the great problem they now have is that they, the country is beginning to see it. I mean, when you even have Jake Tapper on CNN yeah. saying Trump was right, I mean, that had to be a historic moment as far as I'm concerned. And, and uh, I thought it was a sign that the dam is beginning to break. Ex except uh, for the fact the of this, because they, they do that. You know, you know, and you know, Jake Tapper was the guy that did the things about me with Russia, 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 and you know, it was the it was the the lies and the emails that went on, and you know, the walls are closing in. The problem is, this is what they do. It's like, oh, now it looks bad. Oh, you mean five years later when it doesn't matter? Oh, oh, well, now the Hunter Biden laptop is real. You know, so we make the mistake of like, in my opinion, giving them credit for saying something when no, 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 they they knew exactly what they were doing. They all knew Russia was bullshit, but they but they pushed it anyway. They get what they want. They used it to manipulate the midterms under my father because, you know, maybe a, maybe two, three, four, five, ten percent believed maybe there has to be something to it. I know with some of the things I did, you know, I I didn't think that General Flynn was a traitor. But when they're saying, you know, when the FBI and the CIA and all these people are saying, I'm like, well, listen, I'm not going to jump out in front of the train because may, there must be something to it. I still legitimately believed that then even though they were going after me. I no longer give these people any of the credit. So I actually think one of my biggest regrets was not going all in to defend it. I didn't go against him. I just sort of stayed on the sidelines because I was like, well, there, there's got to be something to it. But then when they started doing it to me and continue, so, you know, when they do the mea culpa two years later, I don't give them the credit because they got what they wanted out of the narrative and there's no consequence for having been wrong. Well, I think that's true, but I also think that the tide of data and facts and discoveries is building in such a way. And frankly, these guys are so guilty. I mean, it, it's unbelievable how guilty they are. Uh, Hillary, you know, Hillary may have stolen more than, than Joe. Uh, I, I compare organized crime in Delaware and organized crime in Chicago. Uh, and I think Hillary probably had a higher level of expectation. Uh, but the fact is, day by day, this is all starting to come out. And I took um, Tapper, not, not so much as a mea culpa about the past, but as a, as a signal in the wind that they are beginning to believe uh, that uh, the momentum may be on our side and that it may actually be dangerous uh, to be stubbornly wrong. 
Now, I mean, we'll know this is true the morning the New York Times breaks. And yeah. just remember, I mean, the great challenge for Nixon was that the entire media hated it. Uh, the great challenge for us is that the entire media has done everything it could to back up uh, Clinton and Obama and Biden and to try to protect them. And so we have had to gain ground despite every effort of the old order to block us. And, and, and I think, frankly, we are gaining ground. I think more and more Americans realize there's something profoundly sick in the national establishment. So do, but do you think so what do you think their plan is, though? I mean, I think it seems clear. Listen, I don't, I don't think there's even a Democrat out there that genuinely thinks that Joe Biden is capable or competent. But I think there's plenty that are fine with him occupying the position of president because sure. he'll sign whatever radical legislation they'll put in front of him. So, I mean, yeah. I think he's actually for the radical Democrat cause, which is basically the mainstream Democrat cause. They've left blue collar Democrats in the dust long ago. But for that cause, Joe Biden's actually been very effective because Obama was at least smart enough to understand he wanted to protect his legacy with the American people. He doesn't care about Joe Biden. He'll throw him under the bus. So whether it's Obama, whether it's Susan Rice, right. you know, here, stick the paper. The idiot will sign it and doesn't matter. They actually get what they would want if they weren't actually worried about sort of the consequence to their reputation. Look, I, I think that Obama and the Obama team basically are the Biden administration. I think when I had, I had somebody today who's doing a lot of research, writing a book on this, who said, look, you watch Biden, and about half the time he seems like he's cognitively incompetent. And then he does something that looks really, really smart. He said, I don't think that's because he does something that's really, really smart. I think that's because some people are handing him things. And as you know, and you just said, they're always on the left. They're always radical. Uh, Saul Alinsky must be rolling just with great happiness yeah. that the radicalism he preached, the radicalism which... Hillary, who knew him personally, uh, studied, and the radicalism which Barack Obama, who was literally a community organizer, studied. Yeah. We're now seeing it. I mean, here's old Uncle Joe. He's really not threatening. And oh, by the way, he's leading the most radical administration in American history and doing more damage to the American system than any president since Buchanan in the 1850s. Yeah. Yeah, and if you don't believe it, like, just look at his prior record. Look at his statements, whether it's on race or otherwise. Like, you know, 80-year-old Irish Catholic Joe Biden from Delhi. You know, I don't really think that he believes that like, the trans agenda is the social issue of our time. Like, I, I don't believe he thinks that. Uh, but, you know, but he'll say it because someone put it on a piece of paper yeah. for him. Okay. Uh, you know, I, I don't but think anyone believes deal. that, like, because it's nonsense. No, he's got a good deal, though. He gets the White House. He gets Air Force One. He gets to go to the beach at Rehoboth as often as he wants to. Um, he does. You know, I, think what, I think you said earlier, 40 percent of, uh, of his time is in the White House has been on vacation. Yeah. Uh, and all he's got to do is, is please the hard left and say things that are totally stupid. Yeah, what I, does he care? Yeah, no, I, I don't think he does. I mean, by the way, what, you know, what, while we're talking about the indictment, obviously, you know, Atlanta well. It doesn't seem to me, as an outsider, but you, you would, again, know much better, it doesn't seem to me like they're without their own problems with crime, that the, the focus of trying to indict a former president in you know, a politically charged sort of, in my opinion, nonsense indictment would be the best use of their time. You know, can you talk about 
you know, <laughs> the area you, you, that you know well, what, what's going on crime-wise there. Because, you know, I, I think if people understood, you know, what's actually going on and then see what the DA's priorities there, they, they seem very divergent. Well, I mean, to take the two cases, if you looked at crime in Atlanta today and you look at crime in New York and you said, gee, what should the district attorney be doing? Should they be involved in a political circus? or should they be locking up criminals? There's no question that the people of New York and the people of Atlanta would be dramatically better off if they had a district attorney who was actually committed to protecting them. And then you go further west, you look, you look at the absolute disaster of San Francisco, which may be a forerunner of what being in a Democratic-run city is like. I mean, the number of major stores that are closing down because they can't guarantee safety, the fact I think there's a grand irony in this, that the Nancy Pelosi federal office building is now so dangerous that they've advised the federal employees to work from home because they don't want them to risk getting hurt trying to get to the federal building. I mean, yeah. you can't make this stuff up. And in the middle of all that, what you have is a machine engaged entirely in a political witch hunt. Desperate, I think it's because deep down they know that the odds are pretty good that President Trump is going to become President Trump again. Yeah. The first person since Grover Cleveland, the only person in American history other than Grover Cleveland, to be in the White House, out of the White House, and back in. Yeah. And I suspect they're terrified. Yeah, I don't, I don't think they would do this if they didn't believe that Trump was actually the Republican frontrunner, because I think most of the other people, they know they'd be able to manipulate him in D.C. I think after what they've done to Trump, and now with four years of actual experience, understanding how, that's, how the swamp works and, and you know, where, where the real people and loyal people would be versus not, uh, with that experience, I think Trump scares the hell out of them. Look, I, I think that if he'd gone back to Mar-a-Lago in January of 2021 and announced that he was glad to have served the country, but that he was going to focus on improving his golf and he was not going to be a candidate. I don't think any of these indictments would have occurred. Yeah. I mean, I think it's an act of, of uh, enormous courage on his part that knowing that he was bringing on the hostility of the entire establishment, he nonetheless has stood there. I've never seen anybody, and you've lived it much closer than I have, but just the beating he's taken starting in, in, in 2016 continued for four years in the office, now again for the last two and a half years. I don't know of anybody, uh, except maybe Washington or Lincoln, who are in the same league of just having endured on behalf of democracy and the American system. And I think just his sheer courage is something to be admired because it, it's been amazing. I, I, I appreciate that. So uh, you know, give me your thoughts. Uh, on, on the primary at this point, you know, you know, people, oh, Trump's not, should, he should debate. It's like, yeah, what, like, what kind of, do you know a political strategist? Would the dumbest political strategist you have ever had to deal with, would they tell someone who's up by 60 points to get uh, on a debate stage and let someone polling at 0.02% uh, have three hours of unfettered access to try to land a punch? I mean, it doesn't make much sense to me, but I'd love your thoughts uh, you know, on the primary, well, you know, should okay. the candidates, should others drop out at this point? And, and what do you think about sort of the weight, the millions and tens of millions of dollars uh, that could be used towards actually defeating 
Joe Biden and the radical leftist agenda rather than, you know, being spent in what seems to me to be a rather futile primary for, you know, the rhinos? Well, look, I mean, first of all, it's not going to make your dad all that happy. But I think Calista and I are going to watch the debate Wednesday night just out of pure amusement. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued uh, with Vivek Ramaswamy, who I've done three po podcasts with because uh, I do a podcast called News World. And he's a really bright guy. And, and if you watch, he's very close in some polls to passing DeSantis. Yeah. I mean, some someday somebody will write a very interesting book about the, the degree to which DeSantis, who'd been, a, I think, a very good governor of Florida, yeah. just can't hit major league pitching. You know, he was captain of the Yale baseball team. Uh, and I think had like a 336 batting average. But he clearly can't play at the level he's trying to play at. Well, so, I, you know, I saw that as someone who of... spent a lot of time with him, it, it's an interesting thing, right? They spent a lot of time and money sort of creating an image online, right, with influencers and Twitter. Right. You know, where they take a 10-second clip and they, they make it go viral, and it's, you know, it's basically like something I said on Twitter two weeks ago, but it's him saying it, and he's, you know, eventually, and you've seen this, right, eventually you got to be the guy on the stage, and when you're the guy on the stage for more right. than 10 seconds, you know, that reality pops out. I mean, I, I did a lot with DeSantis in 18 to get him elected, I, I, probably like three weeks on the road, maybe more than anyone that wasn't part of the campaign. And like, you know, I sort of knew it. I was like, okay, get, get to know him. It's different than what you're seeing that's been created. And I think that's right. I mean, uh, the, you know, Vivek, interestingly enough, I mean, he's saying to me all of the right things relative to the other candidates that I actually believe in. I just don't know where he was in like, 18, 19, 20, 21, 20. So I don't know if he's just perhaps reading the room right and telling telling a base what they want to hear or if that's actually the conviction. I don't know that because I don't know him. Uh, but well, he's, with, he's with he's what written, he's saying right no, now, he's, he's much more well. appealing and he hasn't done, uh, at least that I've seen, the recent flip-flops based on donors or recent flip-flops based on the establishment that you saw you know, with DeSantis out of Ukraine, et cetera. But it does seem like he said things in the past that are very contrary to what he's saying now, so I don't know. Yeah, no, I, I think, first of all, Vivek's 38. Yeah. Uh, and I suspect, like a lot of people, uh, our conversation earlier about the schools, um, he he's probably been moved much further away from the left by how bad the left has gotten. Yeah, and I, think, I think that he wrote a very good book, Taking on Wokeism and the... And the uh, in, in the business community, uh, and is very tough about it. Yeah. Um, and I think that was legitimate. But yeah. but the thing that's interesting is, uh, to, to your point about about DeSantis, and 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 I think in this sense Vivek does have a, a significant advantage. In the end, there's an authenticity. I mean, one of the great advantages that Trump had over Clinton was that she is inherently an inauthentic person. Yes. I mean, she's always controlled. She's always manipulating. She's always got some angle. And, well, your father has some significant weaknesses. He has enormous strengths. And what you get is the package. Yeah. And the package is authentic. Yeah. I mean, that is Donald Trump. It's not, you know, he's not pretending to be somebody else. And I think I used to always tell, I don't know if you, how, you, how you'll feel about this, but I used to tell reporters back when he was emerging in 15 and 16 that, if The Apprentice had come on on PBS right after Downton Abbey, they would have understood how really good on television Trump is. 
But because The Apprentice was on commercial television, none of them had ever seen it. And so they, they, they had no idea that for 13 years he'd been doing television. I mean, he actually had done more television than Reagan. Didn't do feature films, but he did more actual television than Reagan. Uh, and as you know, I mean, he intuitively understands this stuff. And oh, yeah. he understands that being yourself beats every other imitation. 100%. And I'm, I'm fascinated to see what happens. Uh, you know, it's going to be, this is the other thing. On Sunday on Meet the Press, uh, the moderator couldn't help himself interviewing the governor of North Dakota. Eight of the nine questions were about Trump. <laughs> now, yeah. this, you know, I mean, Trump will probably be the dominant topic of the debate he's not going to. Yeah. <laughs> but you no, think it's, about it's, it. It's amazing. But, but you're right about the authenticity. I mean, yeah, and by the way, I'll get, I don't know if, I think I've told you this. I don't know that I've said it publicly, but even, you know, sort of what I did a lot to help in my father in 16, but I think sort of my breakout moment was my uh, Republican National Convention speech. And so I had worked for weeks for this thing because, you know, you're getting up and giving a speech and I'm usually like this sort of off the cuff and, uh, you know, impromptu. But that one actually wrote out a speech and sort of practiced it heavily. And uh, and I, and I had uh, spent weeks on it. And I, I remember showing it to you. This was when we were literally on a plane talking about VP yep. candidates. You were very involved in the process and uh, you were you were someone that was you know in in that running very much. I actually like I, I liked you a lot for that role. But I, I just said, hey, I, I'm with like. You know, the guy, uh, the speaker of the house that did, you know, contract uh, with America, like, you know, someone who understands this, like, hey, uh, Mr. Gingrich, would you mind just reading this speech and giving me your thoughts? And you did. And you handed it back to me after a few minutes. You go, it's a great speech. Every four syllable, syllable word, make it as small as possible. Just make it normal. Don't. And I did. It was the exact same speech, but just rather than trying to prove something with some sort of you know, nine syllable word that no one knows or what, you know what I mean? It was right. just the same word, but simpler. He goes, same speech, simple it, simplify it. And I did. And, you know, it was a it, it, sort of a breakout moment for me. So y you've understood that for a very long time. <laughs> well, I learned that from Reagan. Uh, I, I started studying Reagan in 65. And I still tell people, if you want to get a sense of genius, uh, you, you can go to YouTube and pull up his October 1964 speech for Goldwater. And in 28 minutes, you're going to see what genius is. I mean, he yeah. he knew what he believed. He knew how to deliver it as a professional actor. Um, and uh, he was very confident about what he was doing and how he was doing it. And, and I think while their styles are very different, I think there are a lot of actual similarities between Trump and Reagan because I think yeah. both of them are outside the establishment. Both of them believe in a classic America that has the rule of law and the constitution, that has the work ethic, uh, that has entrepreneurship. Both of them believe the future can be better. Uh, you know, it's just instinctive. You, you're, you're, you're either, I think, I think all real Americans have this gut instinct that we've been endowed by our creator with certain inalienable rights among, among, among which are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And all of us have the right to pursue happiness. As your point about equity, no one, no place does it guarantee happiness. Correct. I've always said liberals, if they could do it, would issue happiness stamps 
uh, and that would be part of their program. Yeah, they, they want you equality know. of outcome, not equality of opportunity. And that, you know, those two things are very right. divergent. That's exactly right. Uh, so, but, but Reagan was really the person who I learned from. Uh, and, uh, you know, and I have to say, I, I don't know, I've always assumed that your dad learned this from the construction side rather than the finance side of real estate. But he has a knack of clarity that is, you know, with him, a revolution has occurred. If you are a high school graduate, you're almost certainly for Trump. If you're a graduate degree from Harvard, you're almost certainly against Trump. This is a reversal of the classic class division in America. Historically, the, the Franklin Delano Roosevelt majority were blue collar workers and farmers and people who work for a living. And the Republicans were the rich guys at the country club. Trump has been a part of a long, it was a long cycle, but he really decisively shifted it. And I always thought it was in part because the, the cadence of his language, the way he expresses himself, the core love of America, the whole, you know, the fact that he picked MAGA, he didn't, he didn't pick make Trump great. Yeah. He picked Make America Great Again. And I think all of that fed into, and you see in the polling data right now, by the way, those are the folks who are the most offended yeah. by the government coming after you because they see the government coming after themselves. Well, and that's what it and is. And that's yeah, having that, a problem. You know, they're actually coming after all of those people. Trump's just in their way. Uh, and that's, that, that speech that's sort right. of said that. Like I said, he... He is that kind of communicator because he wasn't just a real estate guy who became a billionaire, but he spent time on the ground with the construction workers. He spoke that language. To your point about communication, you know, he says these things and it's very effective to the real people of America. But the media will sit there and be, he speaks at a fourth grade reading level. You know, the guy's made about uh, a billion times more than them. These people are, you know, worthless reporters who will be replaced by AI in about six months. Uh, with no other skill set or capability, but you know, but Trump's the guy with a fourth grade, uh, you know, speaking cadence. Uh, it was really interesting to see that because it also showed, to me, the level of disdain, you know, the the quote unquote elite. And again, they're elite not because they actually accomplished anything or doing anything serious. Certainly not these days when they're just a mouthpiece uh, for whatever the Democrat Party wants. They're not doing journalism. They're they're doing propaganda, uh, but. You know, the level of disdain that elite media, elite politics, elite tech has for like the hardworking men and women of America. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a, I think it's a college and graduate school educated snobbishness. Yeah. You know, we're the people who go to the opera and you're the people who go to country music events, that kind of attitude. And of course, you've seen recently this explosion of country music protest yeah. that has really been remarkably powerful and has been entirely spontaneous. Yeah. I mean, it didn't involve Disney or somebody spending $100 million to sell it. It's just people listening and said, hey, you ought to listen to this. No, 100%. So now you're out with a book, you know, A March to the Majority, uh, about the Republican revolution you led in 1994. So that was a while ago. But, you know, to win the House majority again, what lessons could be learned from that election for 2024? Well, we actually, we, Joe Gaylord, who was my partner for 16 years in doing this, we wrote March the Majority really as a playbook 
uh, well, it's history. It's really designed to say, look, guys, these things work. And they're, they're pretty straightforward. Uh, you know, and, and I hope that as the Republican nominee, uh, that your dad is going to follow it as well as the candidates at every level. Remember, when you win a title election, and this is what happened with Reagan, who carried in a Senate, picked up 14 Senate seats, picked up a bunch of governorships, picked up 29 House seats. When we won in 94, we gained control of the Senate. We gained governorships. We gained state legislators. Same thing happened in 2010. Uh, and the same thing happened uh, in 2016. The, the first principle is it all grows out of the American people. Uh, Lincoln's government of the people, by the people, for the people means you got to listen to the American people. And I'll give you an example. Uh, at at our, our project, the America's New Majority Project, uh, it's clear to us that affordability is a much bigger issue than employment. People aren't as worried about a job as they are about the fact that even if they have a job, they can't afford things. Yeah. And so there's a poll that just came out from The Economist. 57% of the country thinks that affordability is the number one issue economically. 15% think employment is. Well, that's a huge, I mean, it means all this Bidenomics stuff is nuts because people are going to listen to Biden's speech or Biden. I think they're doing a $20 million advertising buy. They'll be useless because they look at that, then they go to the grocery store or they go to the gas station. They know, you know, yeah, that's no, all they, baloney. They, that's they, they, you know, the American people aren't as stupid as those people believe. In fact, they get it. They see it. I mean, I, hey, I, I always say it, and I understand fully where I come from. I'm the son of a Manhattan billionaire, okay? If I'm pissed off when I go to the grocery store or the pump because I can see the changes, like, what, what's America, th what, like, right. the rest of America has to, like, you know, I, I don't want to sound like an ass, but, like, you know, if gas was $10, it wouldn't probably change my routine all that much. I'd be pissed off about it, but... But where it is now, I notice it. If I take my kids, I have them for the weekend, and we go shopping for whatever we're going to, like, it's, it's ridiculous. But the change doesn't affect me necessarily. But if I feel like, oh, my God, that's really expensive, you know, what is a hardworking family making fifty, sixty, seventy thousand dollars $70,000 a year? Like, what, what do they do? That's right. Uh, you know, the cost or, of their or, mortgage or, or, resets, and it doubles because of the interest yeah. rates, you know, wh what's going to happen? I mean, it's going to be right. a, a, it's a bloodbath, unfortunately. And the, the recipients well, of that are going to be the hardworking American people. And, and remember, well, housing prices is a double whammy. When the mortgage goes up, people can't afford to buy it. And the price of the house comes down because you can't afford as big a mortgage. So if you've worked all your life, finally paid off your house, that's your basic retirement for your savings. Yeah. Suddenly it's worth 20% less because of Joe Biden. And that's why I think uh, next year, in terms of what we should be doing, we ought to have a series of very big choices. We want a lot less spending to move to a balanced budget, to eliminate inflation, and to eliminate, you know, we're going to pay a trillion dollars interest on the debt in the near future, more than the, de the Defense Department. That's crazy. I mean, no family, no business could survive very long at the level of debt that we're building up. Yeah. And, it's in, you know, now if you're a socialist, you don't care. I mean, yeah, no, of you course. Want, if you, you ran your small like business like we run our country, you'd be bankrupt. And yet they, they continue right. to double down, right? Because but, they're but, playing but, with but, other people's money. Yeah. So but if I, you're a big government socialist, you want dependency. Yeah. You want people to have to rely on government. And so... Everything we're doing, which is to liberate people, 
to let them go out and earn a decent living and create jobs is the opposite of what big government socialists favor. So, you know, back, back to sort of the, you know, just the big government. You know, we learned Hunter Biden's lawyer had threatened to put Joe Biden on the witness stand if the DOJ charged Hunter. The DOJ essentially responded by giving Hunter a sweetheart plea deal. That, let's just say Don right. Jr. would not have gotten the Hunter Biden sweet deal. Uh, what do you make of the DOJ basically functioning as Joe Biden's personal defense attorneys? It seems like that in and of itself would be a, a miscarriage of justice. Sure. Look, I, I start every morning with an assumption that the Department of Justice has been corrupted, starting with Barack Obama, that the FBI senior leadership has been corrupted, that the IRS senior leadership has been corrupted, that the White House itself is an engine of corruption. And I'm almost never disappointed. I mean, I look out there and, they, you know, I used to tell people that liberals had a hard time dealing with violence whether it's terrorism or it's crime, because they saw the Lion King and they thought it was a documentary. And they actually think that lions and zebras sing and dance together. <laughs> but it, heard, it occurred to me one day, we have the same problem. Yeah. We look at these guys and we, we you know, and, and we have very smart people. I mean, Andy McCarthy is a good example, Jonathan Turley, uh, Alan Dershowitz, but they all, they all operate as though the law exists. There is no law for these people. And I think you have to start with that understanding. These are corrupt people. This is like having the mafia. Yeah. Uh, I, I always tell people, watch The Sopranos, take out the violence, and you have Joe Biden. Yeah, that's the problem. We, we make the mistake of thinking they're playing the same game that we're playing. We're playing t-ball. They're right. playing hardball. We make the mistake of assuming they care about the rule of law, uh, decency. No, they right. don't care about They care about They want to subjugate you. They want you to be totally uh, subservient to their every will and whim. And if you don't, they'll destroy you or they'll try to put you in jail for 500 years. I always say, you know, my dad is a young and vibrant man, but 500 years or 650, wherever they're up to now, you know, it's probably a long time. It's not, it's not an ideal, well, it's not an know, ideal situation. I'll give you an example. Calista does, because she was the ambassador of the Vatican, Calista does a lot of writing about religious freedom and about what happens around the world. If you watch the Sandinistas in Nicaragua, where they have locked up the bishop, I think for like 25 years, yeah. they don't care about it. The, the law to them is a tool for the exercise of power. It's not the rule of law. It's the rule of power. Yeah. And that's what you're seeing here. You're seeing a really deep sickness that Obama brought in more than any other single person and which is now spread through the executive branch reinforced by the news media. And I think it's very frightening. I mean, I, I have to say, I'm more worried about whether or not the rule of law is going to survive than I would have thought possible 10 years ago. Well, okay, so do you think the Republicans in the House are doing enough to actually fight back against that? Do you think, you know, I, I get it. I like what I see out of Comer. I, uh, they're doing it. But, you know, I'm also sure that they're being slow rolled you know, and every, they, they, you they have put to, in a subpoena and they take it to the last minute and they don't include everything. And then it starts yeah. the clock again. And, you know, they're just waiting to get to November no. 24, let it run out the clock. Uh, and, you know, and if, if it does well, and we don't win a majority, then all of this just magically goes away and there'll, there'll be no accountability. Do you think they're doing enough? What If not, what more should they be doing and how much more aggressive should they get? Well, I... I, I I actually believe, based on conversations I've had recently, 
I actually believe that they now understand they have to ramp up with more attorneys, more aggressiveness, a wider range effort to dig out what's going wrong. I'm trying to convince them to subpoena the Clinton Foundation financial records, which I think we're going to find are, are breathtaking. Uh, there was a meeting in January of 2017 while Obama was still in office that Obama personally chaired. I think they should be subpoenaing all the people who are in that meeting and get them to come in and testify. Uh, there were two documents that came out of that meeting. One was a CIA document uh, that, that Brenner produced. And Brenner, remember, is a guy who voted for the Communist Party candidate in the last election before he joined the CIA. I mean, this is a bad guy, maybe the worst CIA director in history. Uh, and also, Jay Johnson produced a similar document out of the same meeting, which is the document which justified the government politicizing social media. So that meeting, I think, is an example. So I think they've got to broaden the scope of what they're looking at. It's much more than just Joe Biden oh, yeah. and, and Hunter. And I think they need to have they need to simply get the number of resources they need to do that. My my sense talking with very senior leaders is that they're moving in that direction that I think they've been surprised by how much they're learning and how sick it is. And I think that's all going to come out this fall. Will, will they ever use the appropriations power? I mean, you know, you got a bill coming up I soon. hope so. You know, it feels like that's the crudgel, no matter what. Listen, you're not going to get much done sure. with, with a four-seat majority. You don't have the Senate. you got a bunch of rhinos there anyway. You don't have the White House and you have a DOJ. But you do have the power of the purse. Uh, and, you know, are, right. I, I don't know that they're utilizing that enough. When I have guys that are hardcore on here, they're always talking about that. But I, I'm not seeing it actually happen yet. Well, uh, do you think that I mean, the first test, happening? Well, I, I think I think they're they're wavering. Uh, I mean, my strong advice, and I've said this publicly, is that as of September 30th, uh, that the people who've been involved in what we think is clearly violating the law should run out of money. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think that's complicated. No. Uh, and I think more, in, more in the case of Texas. Well, it may be usually controversial. You'll have, well, but it I mean, everybody be, in the left but will only go crazy. because we live in bizarro world, right? We we live in a media in, right. in a where you know big tech and the mainstream media have decided that they are going to be the marketing arm of the opposition party. So it'll be controversial, but it shouldn't be for any reasons. And if the if the roles and party affiliations were reversed, uh, it wouldn't be controversial at all. In fact, it would be expected. Oh. And if it wasn't happening, uh, heads would be rolling. You know, and there's a simple test. Do you believe what Jack Smith is doing is unconstitutional and illegal? I, I do. Uh, if that's the case, then why would you pay for it? And the easy thing is you don't have to cut him off. Just don't fund it as of September 30th. Yeah. And then just calmly sit there and say, well, you know, I, I would. this is the one place I may disagree with my good friends in the Freedom Caucus. I would pick one or two key fights and not anything else. I agree with and you. And I would say, fine, we're not going to fight over all this other stuff. We'll get around to it next year. But for this September, these, you know, one would be the FBI building. The idea of giving them a $3 billion headquarters bigger than the Pentagon is insane. You're Another rewarding the people be, that want to end your existence, that have called concerned mothers and parents crazy. who go to PTA meetings, domestic terrorists, the same people that ignore the shooter uh, you know, and certainly don't make a big deal about a shooter last month that wanted to, you know, commit you know, a mass atrocity 
you're rewarding them with a $3 billion new building. Like, they shouldn't be dismantled yeah. as far as I'm concerned. I'm not saying you don't need an organization that does it, but the bureaucrats that control the top, they've been corrupted. They're, they're as bad as the mainstream media, if right. not worse. Yeah, well, and then they're in collusion with each other. But anyway, I would pick a couple of targets, one of which would be the entire process of what we would regard as, frankly, unconstitutional. And by the way, Smith was re rebuked unanimously by the Supreme Court yeah. because he did exactly the same thing to Governor Bob McDonald of Virginia. And the court came back and said that he had totally distorted the law. Well, when I hear that President Trump is indicted under the 1870 Ku Klux Klan in South Carolina bill, I look at that and I think, okay, uh, I mean, I know, he, I know he's an older guy and I'm a little bit older than he is, but neither of us were around in 1870 and neither of us were involved. But ironically, the Ku Klux Klan Act passed with only Republican votes and every Democrat voted against it because they were in favor of segregation and in favor of the Klan. Uh, something people in the modern Democratic Party have no notion of because they're not allowed to learn any history. But I look at that, I think, you know, a guy who would do that, somebody who takes Trump into the District of Columbia, where he lost 19 to 1. Now, how can you have a jury of your peers if the jury pool is 19 to 1 against you? I mean, this is the kind of stuff where I yeah. think they would be very well advised, take a fairly narrow slice, focus on it, and just stand firm and say no. Yeah, and then listen, let everybody I, I, I else decide. Jack Smith's really record is precisely why he end up in that position, right? Someone who doesn't have That's the morals. Right. Yes. He, he doesn't have a moral compass. He doesn't care about the law. He doesn't care about it. He, he's a he's a political operator for them. He's a hitman for the Democrat Party essentially, right. and he'll do whatever they want him to do, and because he actually believes in that. So, yeah, it's you know we're not playing the same game as we've been talking about. I think that's right. So I think that after word, you know, it probably takes some pretty clever wording, but and you need to get good lawyers to do it. But I do think uh, cutting off the money for things we believe are illegal is not only legitimate, I think it's morally necessary. Yeah. So you've been involved in Republican Party politics for uh, quite some time, politics in general. How has the Republican Party changed, in your opinion, for the better? And perhaps how has it changed for the worse? Um, well, I mean, I, I first got active in uh, August of 1958, so I've been at this for a really long time. <laughs> not your uh, first rodeo, huh? Not my first rodeo. Um, I would say the party overall is smarter than it was. Uh, I think Reagan had a huge impact bringing new people in, just as I think uh, President Trump has had a huge impact bringing people in. Um, but the Republican Party is historically an anti-intellectual party. Uh, goes back to, probably to Theodore Roosevelt and the progressives leaving in 1912. And so the result is that you don't get the scale of ideas you do on the left, and you don't get people who are as, are as articulate as people on the left. On the other hand, I think that we have a lot of, we're beginning to attract a lot of veterans, a lot of entrepreneurs, uh, a lot of women, a lot of minorities. This is a, a richer and more diverse party than the party I belonged to many years ago. And I'm encouraged, if, if you look at, for example, the red states, 
we have we have a lot of really smart people doing really smart things. And the gap between blue states like New Jersey, New York, Illinois, California, and the rest of the country is growing. Uh, somebody was pointing out to me today, I, I was, did a Zoom meeting with uh, state legislators in Michigan, and Michigan under the current governor is losing population like crazy because she's making it so expensive to live in Michigan that they're just, you know, a lot of nice places that don't have as much snow and people are just leaving. So I I think in that sense, we're becoming a more diverse party uh, and a more problem solving party. And uh, we still have probably another eight or 10 years of of evolving to get to where we need to be. But I think that, uh, I think next year is gonna be a very good year for us. I think people are gonna be surprised by how well we do. And I think that uh, in part because of your father and because of developing the whole America first policy uh, agenda, uh, I think we are likely to really have a, a genuine momentum that in 2025 lets us start changing Washington in ways we wouldn't have understood in 17 because none of us really fully understood how bad it was. And I think the last from 17 to today has been a remarkable education on how sick the system is and how much it has to be reformed. Well, I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, you know, thank you for doing this today. Would you tell everyone uh, about your book, where they can find it and everything as well? So I, sure. I want to make sure that people uh, understand you, you that can, sure. you've, been, you've been there and done that. So I, I think uh, it's important for us to understand history and how these things take place. Yeah, I, I would say to anybody who's interested in how we create a majority that gets things done, remembering that we uh, reformed welfare. We balanced the only four times the balanced budget was when I was speak. I launched as speaker. Um, so we, we achieved a lot. We didn't. We were the first majority in 40 years on the Republican side, first reelected majority since 1928. And it's because we applied principles to work. Those principles are in March to the majority. You can get it at, at Amazon. You can get it at Barnes & Noble. You can go to Gingrich 360, uh, which is our, our, our company. Uh, I also do uh, three newsletters a week and three podcasts. They're all free at Gingrich 360, so people can sign up for those. And this has been a lot of fun. I'm, I appreciate you giving me a chance to come and share ideas with you. Well, I, I appreciate it. Like I said, you, you may have given me perhaps the best political uh, a- a- advice uh, you know, I, I'd ever <laughs> received. I, I don't listen to a lot of people because I got a little bit too much of the Trump genes, but uh, I, I, I took that one to heart and it worked out well. So uh, very solid in my book, sir. I appreciate it. Right. Well, anytime. Well, thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. Guys, make sure you like, share, subscribe. Uh, to the podcast, just if you like it, it takes two seconds. You're literally there. It's a mouse click away uh, or a phone tap away. Uh, make sure that other people can see this, share it. Also, Rumble will put it up on, I guess, Apple and you know, uh, and Spotify podcasts in a day or two, so you can check out all the other episodes there if you're driving or in your car or whatever it may be. Also, guys, make sure to check out our advertisers. They have some guts to actually go on a show like this to talk about the, the stuff that I'll talk about and to go to the places. I'll go. So check out the folks at Gold Co. Protect yourself against rising interest rates, inflation, reckless spending, the insanity that we see out there. Diversify your portfolio, but more importantly, learn about it. And the folks there will take you through every aspect of it step by step so you can make the right decision for yourself. Go to DonJuniorGold.com. 
gold.com to learn more. That's D-O-N-J-R, gold.com to learn more. And don't forget to check out the folks at Patriot Mobile, America's only Christian conservative wireless provider. You're going to have a phone in your pocket anyway, guys. You can get the same coverage as the major carriers, but not have your hard-earned dollars go to, frankly, fund the nonsense uh, that you hate or even be weaponized against the things that you believe, which is what's been going on if you've been watching. So for free activation, go to patriotmobile.com slash triggered. That's patriotmobile.com slash triggered, like the name of the show. Uh, it's quick, easy. They'll take you through it, and you can vote with your wallet. So check out Patriot Mobile. You're not going to regret it. For those of you guys uh, who like the AMAs, are on Locals, I'm going to switch over there, do that. I haven't in a little bit because uh, I, I've been gone and traveling, so... Uh, I'll go live there as soon as I'm done here. So uh, if you're on Locals, go check me out over there. Otherwise, guys, like, share, subscribe. I appreciate you, and it's because of you guys that this is possible. So check it out uh, over on Locals if you're there. I'm going to flip over there, and uh, I'll talk to you guys on uh, Thursday.